Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Praise the Lord. Good morning. So good to see so many smiling faces. This is Labor Day weekend. You guys are supposed to skip church and you came today. So, thank you. Uh, we want to welcome you if you're visiting here. I'm Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here. And this is a place where our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. And God is doing work. I love to see the baptism and hear the story. Next week, we've got another baptism. So if you've been saved but never been baptized, uh, let us dunk you next week. We'll sign you up. Let's go to the Lord in prayers and prepare our hearts for the word. Father, thank you so much that you're with us and for us and that we can celebrate new life. And we, we're just, we rejoice to see the testimony of someone going underwater representing the old life and coming up representing the new life. So Lord, we just pray you bless this time together. We ask and pray that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll go ahead and turn to Acts 27. For those of you who are guests today, we are finishing the book of Acts. Next week we're actually going to finish the book, God willing, and we're going to do something we've never done before. We're going to do an Acts party. You're like, what's an Acts party? Well, We've been in the Acts about a year and a half, two years, so we figured let's throw a, an Acts party. You're like, is that throwing Acts? No, I'm talking about finishing the book of Acts. So it's going to be right after the service, just 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, we have a baby shower for Miss Renee, but after, uh, on your way to that, stop by. We're going to have some refreshments, and I want you to begin to thinking about uh, something this series has God spoken to you, maybe a verse, maybe a story, maybe a crazy prop that you saw that, that's, that's stuck with you. And we're just going to write it on index cards. We'll have some index cards available, or you can just write it this week. For those of you who are planners, for those of you who are last minute, you'll do it on the spot. So that's right after, after the service. And as Joe mentioned, Fall Fest is coming up on the 18th, so we encourage you to start inviting people. We want to pack this place out with people that are unchurched, and we also want to make a way for people just to hear the good news about Jesus. So as you turn to Acts 27, we're going to have a few pictures on the screen. How many of you have ever had a no good, very bad day before? All right. So this gentleman was doing construction and yeah, kind of the roof fell through and not very good. How many of you gentlemen have ever showed up to work and you look down at your feet and this happens? No, none of you ladies would ever make this mistake. Some of us guys, it's you know easy to do. Alright, so you're getting ready to go to work one morning and you look at your car and instead of Ford Flame, it's the Ford Lame. Yeah. Alright, how many of you like to go camping? Anybody like to go camping? Alright, you go camping, you set up your tent and you get something to eat. You go back and, whoa, instead of where's my car, it's where's my tent. There it goes, it's flying away. Alright, how many of you have a birthday this month? You're getting ready to blow out the candle and you realize you use a little too much hairspray. Be careful, it's a little flammable. All right. And last but not least, I think we got one more. It's fall season, the bugs start coming out. So some of you are spraying the perimeter around your house, so you go for the bug spray. And if you can't see the picture, the spider is on the bug spray. All right, all right. And last but not least, we do have one more. 
Some of you work in the grocery store business. We're so thankful for you. You guys keep it going, but all of a sudden, clean up aisle five, olive oil, and you spend the next three hours cleaning this up. How many of you have ever had a week like that? Most of us have. Well, with Paul, a little preview of today's passage, he seems to go from bad to worse. It it seems to keep going downhill. And today, I want to give you seven realities of when life is hard, when unexpected things happen, when things don't go according to plan, how do you respond? So let's read Acts 27. We're going to start in verse 39. For those of you who weren't here last week, Paul is in the middle of a shipwreck, and we pick up in verse 39. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach on which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go of the anchors and let them into the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes. And they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the prow struck, stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to the land. Chapter 28, verse 1. Now, when they had escaped, they found out that the land was called Malta. Someone say Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out. Of the heat and fastened to his hand. So when the natives saw that the creature hanging from his hand, they said to another, No doubt this guy is a murderer whom he escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. I want to read verse 5 again. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, when they were expecting that he would swell up and suddenly fall down dead, but after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and laid hands on him him and healed him. So when this is done, the rest of us, those on the island who had diseases, they also came and they were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. May God bless his word. So today I want to give you six realities of what do you do? When you go from storm, you're a storm survivor, then you get shipwrecked, and then you get snake bitten. You ever been there? I survived the storm, and then my ship sank, and then I got snake bitten. So today is going to be an encouraging message, because right now, you're either in a tough time, some of you have just got out of a tough time, and some of you, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you're getting ready to enter into another tough time. So six realities. The first reality is this. Your ship may sink 
but you are not sunk. Your ship may sink, but you're not sunk. So chapter 27, if you notice, they were planning to, let's, let's, let's have the boat. We're going to sink, but let's try to, let's try to at least make it to the island. And they were looking for a bay. This is the first episode of Baywatch. They, they see the bay, but all of a sudden the boat gets stuck. And they're like, okay, let's just jump overboard. And all of a sudden, the prisoners are there. And the soldiers look at the prisoners and they think to themselves, if they escape, many of these guys have the death sentence. And in the Greco-Roman world, if you let a prisoner escape that had the death sentence, the death sentence would be transferred to you. So all of a sudden, the, the soldiers are like, we don't want these guys to escape because we, we don't want to die. But the centurion thought about Paul, and God intervened. And what, what's fascinating is God stepped in. And, you know, have you ever been stuck before? When you look at the passage, most likely they hit a sandbar, and the ship was immovable. It was stuck, and it began to be broken into pieces. Have you ever been there, like you, you want to have like a three-hour tour, and all of a sudden your, your ship gets stuck? You ever been stuck in a, a dead-end relationship that was going nowhere? Some of you ladies dated a guy for five years that didn't end in marriage, and you're like, man, now it's over. I was stuck. How many of you have ever entered into a job situation where you thought, man, if I go to college, I get a degree, life's going to be good, and you get the, the, the job, and it was not what you thought it would be? It turned into W-O-R-K, and you're just working yourself to death. Anybody, am I speaking to anyone? And, but here's the thing. Sometimes you realize that the ship that you're on, sometimes it sinks. Not all relationships turn out to be good relationships. Not all jobs turn out to be good jobs. Not all situations turn out the way they're meant to be. But I, I want to I plant this into your soul. A storm may sink your ship, but you should never be sunk. As long as you're keeping your eyes on Jesus, ships are going to sink. Things are going to happen. But you have to trust in the Lord. And that brings us to the second reality. God's goodness often shows up in the most unlikely places. So look at chapter 28, back at verse 1. It says, when they had escaped, keep in mind there's 276 of them, they found out that the island was called Malta. Someone say Malta. So here's the thing. Malta represents a place that was not on your original itinerary. It was not on your travel plan. When Paul was in Caesarea, he's been a prisoner for about two years. He originally had no plan when he appealed to, to Caesar. He had no plans to go to a place called Malta. God, in chapter 27, explained to him, the ship is going to wreck. You're going to come aground a certain island. But if you stay with the ship, you follow my plan, all of you will survive. But Malta, you may want to write this down in your notes, Malta means refuge. Isn't it fascinating? It's cool how God's word has these layers of truth. That Malta means refuge. When do you need refuge? When you're in a storm, right? And some of you are in a storm and you don't realize, but there's going to be a place that you didn't plan, but you arrive on a place called Malta. The Bible says that God is our refuge in times of storm. God is there for us. And if you look in verse 2, notice that the inhabitants, the natives, instead of being these crazy cannibalistic people that you're scared of, like, oh no, are these guys going to eat us? They weren't like that at all. They didn't speak the Greek language. They were not like like the people on the ship, but they showed unusual kindness. They started a fire, so it was raining kind of like today, and it was cold, and so they were able to warm themselves by the fire. So here's the thing. 
when you're in a storm, trust that God's going to provide refuge. Trust that God's going to provide people to encourage you, people to uplift you. These people were loving on Paul. And I just want to encourage you that we got to love on each other. You know, many people are going through storms in life right now. Some of you are going through times where you just want to give up and you just want to say, you know, I, I don't want to continue on. But after the rain comes the what? Comes the rainbow. So right now you're in the storm, but there's a rainbow that's a coming. And God will sometimes allow you to arrive on a place called Malta. You didn't plan it, but there's going to be purpose in your unplanned stop. And that brings us to reality to number three. Satan often likes to strike after a great breakthrough. So look in your Bible in verse 3. It says, But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, someone tells me what happened. A viper. A viper comes out. Now, just for the, how many of you are scared of snakes? I just got to appease your fears. There's no real snake in here, okay? So you can take a deep breath. So Paul reaches out. He's, he's getting wood. And a viper strikes. And it's hanging from his hand. Notice who the viper strikes. Does it strike the people that are sitting by the fire warming themselves? Or does the viper strike the person that's serving? The person that's working? Here is Satan's strategy. He will strike you when you're serving. When you're sitting back, relaxing, Sitting on your blessed assurance till Jesus comes. Satan's not going to strike you very much. He has no need to. But as soon as you get to the Lord's work, as soon as you're starting to build fire when people are cold, as soon as you're trying to lead people to Jesus, guess what? That viper will strike. So notice what happens. It struck and it fastened to his hand. It fastened to his hand. And what's fascinating about Paul is, you know, he had survived the storm he had survived the shipwreck, and you would think that he would just want to sit back and say, you know what, it's time for you guys to serve me. I, I saved your necks, all 275 of you, plus me, 276. I prayed for you. You guys could have died in the storm, but because of God spoke to me and I, I gave you the prophetic word, why don't you serve me? But Paul did not serve so that he could be served. Paul served so that he could serve some more. So here's a great leadership principle for all of us. We don't serve one another so we can be served in return. We serve so that we have an opportunity and we have more capacity to serve others. There's a story in Massachusetts. There's a school for girls. It was the D.L. Moody School for Girls. So this family showed up and uh, they had got off the train. And they saw this guy with a horse and buggy and, you know, this is back old school. So the, the father with his daughter says, excuse me, gentlemen. He saw this guy with a beard, common looking guy. He's like, I need you to take me to the hotel because we are getting ready to go to the D.L. Moody School for Girls. And the gentleman said, I would love to help you, but I'm waiting on some students to arrive, just like your daughter. And the guy said, no, I need you to take me right now. So he forced him to take, he thought he was a cabbie. So he got in, he dropped him off at the school. And when the guy went to pay him, he said, no, no, I, I don't, I'm not a cabbie. He said, well, who are you? I mean, why are you sitting there? He said, well, I'm D.L. Moody. And he, he had, he had served the people without any expectation. The people were like, oh, I can't believe we just did that. Not, not a good first impression. So here's the principle that Satan will strike. Whenever you're serving. And you just got to be ready for it. You just got to be ready. And something uh, Scott Whitley mentioned a few weeks ago that we've been kind of rallying around is that, 
you know, we want to change the 2080 principle. Someone tell me what the 2080 principle is. It's true in business. 20% do what? 80% of everything. True in business, true in church. So we're trying to flip that. What if 80% of the church becomes servants? What if 80% of the church is serving and giving and loving and sharing and, you know, being the hands and feet of Jesus and the other 20% were the guests? What kind of church would we be if 80% of the members served? It would be a revival take place. So we're trying to flip that. So keep in mind, Paul, he's the one building the fire. Now, there's one problem about the snake hanging from Paul's hand. It says it's a viper, right? You can do a Google search. My Google search told me that today there are no poisonous snakes in Malta. So you're like, well, how did Paul get bit by a poisonous snake if there's no poisonous snakes in Malta? Well, one denomination says Paul, like, basically cured all the poisonous snakes. I don't, I don't think that's true, but that, that is a theory. The other theory is that Malta was relatively uninhabited. There wasn't many people. But if you, if you Google Malta today, according to my reference, there's a half a million people on about 122 square miles. So think about that. So they pushed the snakes out. That's m- most likely. A third is the snake got its way on one of the boats, and it was in a pile of wood. It wasn't native to the land, but... Satan had planted this snake there. So some of my Pentecostal friends would have that interpreted. Whatever, whatever it is, the snake was there. So Satan will often strike whenever you're serving. And here's the thing. Let's throw this principle. There's two extremes that Satan likes to, to attack. One is on spiritual highs. Whenever you've just got a job raise... Whenever you've had a spiritual breakthrough, whenever you've had a newborn baby, and all his parents can relate, it seems like the enemy strikes on a high. It's like Elijah on Mount Carmel. He stood up to 850 false prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth. But what happens when he comes out of the mountain? He's on a high. Jezebel, she attacks. And he runs from one woman, even though he stood up to 850 grown men. I mean, right? Probably some women mixed in there too. But here's the thing, he strikes at the highs, but also on the low. The high is kind of like the counter, he's trying to counteract you. The low is his death blow. Whenever you're depressed, you're down, you've had a death in the family, Satan will strike you and say, you know what, you've got to give up. He'll whisper lies, God doesn't care about you. And when you get hurt by somebody, he'll whisper lies, listen, no one cares. And the Satan attacks, and he hangs there. And here's the thing, Second Corinthians 2.11 It says, Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. So when you think about snakes, the Bible tells us that in Genesis 3, we see the first individual snake appear. And where was that? In the Garden of Eden. And he appears, and he comes, and throughout Scripture, the snake often is a symbol of Satan's attack. In Revelation, it calls him the ancient serpent. So Paul literally got bit, but I think there's an application you can say that sometimes Satan will come after us when we're serving. He'll come after us when we're part of a mission. I was listening to Pastor Paul Dordery out of Oklahoma, and he brought up something interesting. How many medical folks do we have in here? had a lot in the first service. All right, all of our medical folk will really dial in. Let's throw it up. What happens when you get snake bit? I never thought about it because doesn't happen a lot. I think there's 6,000 people get bit every year in the U.S. Only five people die, so that's good news, right, in the U.S. But here's the thing. It says, stay calm. How many of you have got bit by a snake you would panic? 
Uh, all of our medical folk, and I'm not medical, but they would advise us, don't panic because that can make the venom spread throughout your body. Your heart beating faster, that's not good, according to our medical folk. All right, call 911 immediately. That's true. Take off anything that constricts. So, ladies, if you have bracelets, guys, watch, whatever. And what, what's interesting is fourth block, you may not can read it, but you want to position the, the snake bite at or below the heart level. And the reason you want it below the heart level is you don't want the venom going where? To your heart, right? So don't, you don't want to hold it there when it's coming through. You've got to hold it at or below the heart. And then you don't want to have something to constrict. You know, you don't want to like a tourniquet, you know, a tourniquet where they isolate because our medical folk will tell us that you don't want to tourniquet it because the blood flow, the blood is what helps, you know, push the venom out. And I begin to think about the medical reality of snake bites. And then I begin to look at the spiritual reality. How many of us have ever been bit, but we let the venom go to our heart? We didn't hold it away from our heart or below our heart, but it went to our heart. And then the blood flow. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? So when you get bit, remember this first aid, there's so much parallel. 911, when in trouble, dial Psalm 91 verse 1. I mean, there's so many parallels that God is our present help in times of trouble. We're not going to fear. So the question I want to ask is, how do you prevent snake bites? You know, like the snake is there, but how do you prevent it? I, I want to, how many of you want to prevent snake bites? Real ones and spiritual ones, right? Now, the physical ones, it's like, be careful, high grass areas, especially with your dogs, they can get bit. Um, be careful, dark areas. Avoid places where there's holes. You know, snake holes. I mean, there's certain things. But spiritually, Paul gives us this word. He says in Ephesians, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to do what? Stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. And it goes on to mention the armor, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the gospel shoes of peace. And that way we can stand strong. Reality number four, how to overcome all these challenges. People often assume the worst about you when something bad happens to you. So look at verse four. It says, when the natives saw the creature hanging from his head, his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this guy is a murderer whom though he escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. How many of you, whenever you've had a bad situation in your life, you've had a snake bite, so to speak, People assume the worst about you. How many of you would raise your hand? You lost your job and what do they assume? You got fired. You were lazy. You had it coming to you. Some of you have been bitten by divorce. Your spouse walked out on you. And then people assume maybe you were unfaithful. Maybe you weren't a good spouse. People assume the worst. And here's my thing. What would happen instead of assuming the worst about people we took the snake off. Now, here, here's my question. The snake is there, but where's Dr. Luke? Isn't the, the physician he uses we in this passage? Dr. Luke is there, and he's just, it seems like he's just standing there. Luke, you're a doctor. I mean, at least pull the snake off. The snake is, where's Luke? Where's everyone else? And they're just sitting around, and the natives are whispering, this guy's a murderer. And they, they use the word justice. And this was a female deity. This is the, the goddess of justice. And they're like, it's like what goes, what comes around, goes around. 
poetic justice, you're going to get what you deserve, right? All these things people have. And Paul's just sitting there with a snake hanging. And by the way, snake bite 101. It's getting a little snaky today, isn't it? Look at the person next to you and get a little snaky. The new rumor around Arden First is they're passing snakes. I can hear it now, passing snakes in church. So a lot of times you get snake bit, it bites and it's gone, right? Quick bite. But the ones that want to kill you will fasten onto you. And the goal is to inject the venom in your veins. So the snake's hanging there. And people assume the worst about Paul. They said he's a murderer. So here's the principle. We're going to throw this on the screen. Don't get your self-worth from the crowds. Because their opinion about you will change when the circumstances happen to you. So listen, some of you have lost your job. Some of you have been through marital break crashes, breaks. And don't find your identity by what people think about you. Your identity is found in what God says about you. And if he says you're his child, that's all that matters. Doesn't matter about the job. Doesn't matter about the state of your finances from eternity. Doesn't matter if, if you have strikes against your name. What matters is I am my beloved and he is mine. What matters is you know that you know that you belong to Jesus. Don't let the worst that people assume about you change the way you feel. Because God, he's the one that sets identity. All right, number five. Fifth reality, let your defender, let God be your defender when the deck is stacked against you. But notice what Paul does, and I'm, I'm tired of this orange snake. We're going to put it right here. We're going to get a different color one. All right, this black one. So the snake is hanging, and what does Paul do? He shakes it off. It reminds me of a song someone told me about. I didn't know about it, didn't listen to her, but haters going to hate, hate, hate. Taylor Swift, right? For everyone under 40, you know what I'm talking about. And she says, what's her thing? Shake it off. So many of you have got a pet snake still attached to you. You don't realize it, but everyone else can still sense the bitterness of the venom flowing through your veins. You've been hurt. We don't minimize the hurt, but you never shook it off. And the snake is still hanging there. And every time you show up, people, that person's been bit. The bitterness is still there. And they haven't learned to shake it off. So, you guys want to hear a real-life snake story? Some of you are like, no, no. Pastor Joe Perry, come on up. Let's give him a hand. He's got a true snake story. And no, we are not passing snakes. Joe, come on up here. Let's grab this mic over here. There we go.
And so it worked out perfect for me. That there was an, there were enough people who said, that's a corn snake. And it kept going. Then I looked up corn snake on Google Images. I was like, okay, that's really not a copperhead. So I calmed myself down. And I just sat there for a second to make sure I wasn't dying. <laughs> and then I drove home. <laughs> that was Saturday before Sunday. And yes, I made it to church, but I have a story to tell. Uh, so, I'll say this and I'm done. The spiritual warfare is real. And snakes do fight. And in that case, I was really going to call on the name of the Lord and the serpent himself with me. Awesome. There you go. Thank you, thank you. And he lived to, to hear about it, right? So um, here, here, here's the scenario. We're going to get practical, and then we're going to close shortly. Um, Paul got bit while he was serving, right? You know, it's like, why didn't the snake bite a murderer? There were many there. Someone that was on death row. The snake bit Paul. And God told Paul about the shipwreck, but he did not tell him about the snake. So here, here's my thing. You're serving God. And all of a sudden, the snake comes at you, and you get bit. All right, I need someone that's a church greeter to come up on stage. Amy, you come on up. You're, you're, she leads her first impressions ministry. She didn't know I was going to call on her. So here's the thing. We're going to get a different snake than this black one here. i got a whole basket full of snakes. All right, we're going to do this green one. So Amy's out there. She, she's greeting. She's like, welcome to Arden First. Someone drives down the road, true story, and they yell out, hell, Satan. They, they actually did this. Like, while, while we're, we're greeting. And all of a sudden, the snake bites. And someone else, a greeter in the parking lot, this hasn't happened yet, but you, you're, you're welcoming someone to church, and they've had a bad day, and they curse you out. So should she let the snake on, or what should she do? Shake it off. All right. All right, hold, hold the snake there just for a second, where they can see it. All right. I need someone in the kids' ministry to come on up. Somebody work in the kids' ministry. There's one person. All right. Leah, come on. You're, you're the greatest example. Come on up. You don't have to if you don't want to. Leah's shy. I have the spiritual gift of putting people on the spot. So Leah is serving in the kids' ministry. And we have someone that's, you know, a newcomer. And not only are they late dropping their kids off, but they're late picking them up. They come 30 minutes late. Leah has something with Dakota plan. And not only is the parent late, but ungrateful and is really rude. And the snake bites. All right, hold that there. And here's the thing. You can let the venom go through your veins. And you can say, you know what? I'm going to tell Pastor Brian and Miss Shannon that I, I'm just dropping out of the kids ministry. That's not my calling. Someone else will feel called. Or you can do what? Shake it off. Shake it off. All right, where's Mike Jameson? I always have to have Mike Jameson up here. Come on, Mike. Is he here today? Oh, he's downstairs. Okay, you've got to tell him you missed, he missed the service. So, Lucia, come on up. Lucia does hospitality. And um, so one week, it's a really low week, like a holiday weekend. Nobody shows up. So Lucy's trying to get the coffee brewed, and, and then we have someone very disgruntled and like, Lucia, come on, you've got to get this together. You've got to have backup volunteers. And they're giving her a lecture 
But what they don't know is she was up to one o'clock in the morning ministering to someone. And all of a sudden the snake bites. And here's the thing. You can, you can let it fester or you can do what? Shake it off. There we go. Michael, come on up here. None of these knew I was calling him up. All right. So Michael is getting ready to go Vermont missions trip. When? In a week or two? So he goes up there, he takes a crew, they're going to do some construction work. And all of a sudden, somebody comes at him and basically just gives him so much profanity lace, like anti-Jesus rhetoric, can happen easily in Vermont, right? And all of a sudden, people around him and they're discouraged, they're like, Michael, we came up here, but are we really making any good? And all of a sudden, the snake bites and uh, hold it for just a second. The venom is there. And he's like, I don't know if I should do this mission trip. Maybe I didn't plan well enough. And here's the thing. I, w- I want you to hold that snake there. Some of you have been hurt so badly that these little pet snakes, if you let a snake continue to grow, you know what happens? It gets bigger and bigger. So all of a sudden, Michael's little pet snake... He's let it grow, and it's wrapped around him. It's wrapped around him. All right, Mike, come on, come on up here. And here's the thing. He didn't realize it, but he let the venom go to his heart. And here's something else that our medical folk could tell us. I love medical folk, by the way. Whenever you've been, getting, been bitten by a venomous snake, one of the first signs that you've been bitten is blurry vision. Your vision gets all blurred. How many of you have been hurt by somebody, maybe in the church, maybe in ministry, and your vision gets blurred and you're like, I'll never serve again. I'll never go back to that church. And the vision's blurred. And if the, the poison continues to go through your system, then you get vertigo. It's that spinning feeling in your head and you just, your equilibrium's off. And then if it continues, one of the last stages is paralysis. How many people do you know that have been paralyzed? They used to be serving God, but the snake bit and it grew so big that the pet snake has become a real killer. So you know what you need to do? Shake it off, Mike. Shake it off. Shake it off, ladies. Drop those snakes. Step on it. Let's give them a hand. All right, you guys may be seated. All right, it's getting snaky. I got to move on. I got to move on. So here's the thing. Here's the thing, and we're going to have this for effect as, as we do it. Let's throw up last point, number six, and we've got to go because we've got to beat the other churches to the restaurant here. <laughs> That's why we have 1030 service, just so you know. We, we beat the other churches. Keep on doing the most eternal good you can, even when times are not favorable. So in verses 7 through 10, what does Paul do next? Does he go to the ER and does he take a vacation? You know, I'm going to go to Aruba after this. Man, this is so hard. I'm a storm survivor. I've been shipwrecked. I've survived Felix and Festus and Agrippa and now survived the snake. It's time for a vacay, baby. I'm just going to, you know, a few years. I'll report back to Rome, you know, when I I get back. No, he immediately goes to a gentleman named Publius. And this guy's a leading official. Most likely he's the Roman leadership there. He's probably one of the most wealthy men on the island of Malta. And Publius' father is sick. And uh, this is what we call Malta fever now. And it's basically you've eaten something like a goat's 
goat's milk or cheese that's not been pasteurized and what happens? You get the nastiness inside and it's kind of like a flu and your stomach begins to get really hurt and it's expanding and it's like you can't really see but you're dying from the inside out. And if it's not treated, it can be very harmful. So get this, the same hands that got bit by the snake, what does Paul do? He begins to heal people through the power of God. And here's, here's the truth. There is purpose after your bite. There is purpose after your pain. Some of you have been bitten, and if you'll just shake it off, shake, shake, shake it off, you'll begin to heal others again. The Bible says in Genesis 3, this is the Proto-Evangelion, Genesis 3.15, let's throw it up on the screen. This is like the first prophetic statement of the Messiah. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So here's what happened. The Satan thought he had Jesus. Jesus was nailed to the cross. He, he was celebrating that Friday. We call it Good Friday, but it was a very sad Friday originally. Saturday, all of hell, I could see them parting. We don't, we're not told in the Bible what they were doing, but you can imagine Jesus is dead. But when the sun rose that Sunday morning, all of a sudden this snake, his head was bruised. But here's a little secret. You can Google this. There was a guy that cut off a poisonous, I think it was a viper's head. He went to go pick up the body and the head still bit him. The venomous snake still bit him. So here's the thing. Even though Satan's head has been bruised, he still has a bite. And he still bites. And that's why he bit Paul. So here's the thing. When you've been bitten by a snake and you go to the hospital, what do they give you? Anti-venom. And how is that produced? Through the venom of the snake. See, all of you guys are like, wow, okay. You guys are more awake than the first service. So get this. We've all been bitten by sin. We've all been bitten since Genesis 3. And the only way for us to get cured and to get forgiven and to get healed, Jesus, the Bible says in Corinthians, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So here's the thing. We've all been bitten by sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We've tried to shake it off, but we can't. We can't on our own. So Jesus, who never sinned, Jesus was never guilty of sin. When it says he became sin, it doesn't mean he became sin itself. It means he took sin on himself so that all of a sudden he could bear the penalty that we deserve, which is death. And he died on the cross and when he rose again. There's an anti-venom to sin. It's the Savior. And whenever you go to him for the anti-venom to sin, guess what? The head is bruised. You have victory. Death has lost its stinger. Grave has lost its victory. We have freedom in Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So let's throw the big idea on the screen. When you get bit by a snake, what do you do? Shake it off. When you get bit by a snake, you don't let it venom. You hold it away and down from your heart and you shake it off. Some of you need to receive this message that you've been hurt. All of you have been hurt. And by the way, bitten people bite people. Those who have been bitten by others bite others. You ever notice that? Hurt people hurt people. So you can choose to listen to the lies of the enemy or you can shake it off and say, God, by your stripes I'm healed. 
I'm going to shake it off. I've been hurt. People have hurt me, discouraged me. But, but there is something past your hurt. God can turn your scars into stars if you'll just shake it off. Four action steps and we close. Number one, learn to turn sunk ships into unearthed treasures. They landed on a place called Malta that wasn't planned. It wasn't the original itinerary. But God had Paul in Malta so he could minister to the people there, including Publius and his father. And people with sicknesses came. There's a purpose in your pain. Number two. What is it? Shake it off. So if you don't remember anything, you're going to remember. Shake, shake, shake it off. And look to Jesus. He's the only one that can heal you. Number three. Put on the full armor of God to prevent future snake bites. All of us have been bitten. There's going to be bites to come, but the Bible says take on the full armor of God. That shield of faith, if you hold it up at the right time, it'll quench all the fire darts of the wicked. So you need to pray it off. You need to worship it off. In community, together, we pull it off. And when you fast, you break it off. So those are four practical ways. You pray it off. In community together, we pull it off. Like, next time you have a snake, I'm not going to sit and watch you die. I'm going to help pull that snake off. Amen? And finally, and we land the plane. And someone said, Amen. Alright, stick to the mission. After Paul got bit, he didn't become bitter. After Paul got hurt, he didn't let the hurt stay with him. He was a storm survivor. He had survived the shipwreck. He was snake bitten. He had gotten through Felix and Festa and Agrippa. But guess what? He stuck to the mission. So for you, you have a calling on your life. And I'm talking to all of you. You have a calling. Don't let the snake bites get you off your calling. Because Satan will strike at the very strength of what God's called you to do. God had called Paul to serve. So what did Satan do? He struck his hand. Whatever your greatest calling is, that's what Satan's going to go after. So if he's attacking a certain area, God can turn that pain into your platform. But you have to realize why the Satan is striking that area. That's, a, that's an area of strength. He not only goes after weaknesses, he goes after strength. So friends, as we close in prayer, I just want you to close your eyes. Those listening online, do the same. Just close your eyes. I want to pray for everybody here who has had... A spiritual, emotional snake bite, or the enemy from Genesis three has bit you. And I, I just want to—I just want to know that at this church we don't minimize pain. We encourage counseling. We encourage therapy. We never minimize your hurt. Nobody understands your hurt but Jesus. And we, we would be at a disservice to minimize. We're not minimizing it, but what we're saying is, look to Jesus. He's the only one that can heal that hurt. He's the only one that can touch you. The Bible says that by his scars, we are healed. So right now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but right where you're at, I want you just to say a prayer. Say, Jesus, you know when I was bitten, you're thinking of that person's name. You're thinking of what happened in a former church or even in this church. You're thinking of what happened in your childhood. Jesus doesn't minimize your pain. He bore your pain on the cross. I just want you to say a prayer. Say, Jesus, you know what happened. Today, I'm going to make the choice not to let the snake hang on me anymore. I'm going to make the choice to release that snake by forgiving that person. By knowing that they probably bit me because they were bitten. They hurt me because they were always also hurt. So, Lord, I forgive them. And through the power of Jesus, I ask you, Jesus, to shake it off. Heal that wound. Turn my scars into stars.
turn my hurt into someone else's healing. As believers continue to pray and do business, there may be one here today that you've never received the anti-venom of the snake that bit you with sin. You've never asked Jesus to forgive you. And yes, you may believe in God, that's a good start, but the demons also believe. It's not head knowledge, it's you surrendering your life to Jesus. So if you've never asked Jesus to take away the penalty of your sin, the sin, the punishment that you and I deserve, I just want you to raise your hand, no one looking around but me. Does anyone need to receive Jesus today? Need to receive Jesus? Slip up your hand. No one's going to embarrass you, no one's going to ask you to come up. If that's you today, you're here, you're online, I want you to say this prayer. Say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I have been bitten by the snake of sin, by, by choice and also by birth. I realize I'm a sinner. And I just want to ask Jesus that you would save me today. Go ahead and tell him, Jesus, save me. Jesus, I can't shake off this snake. I can't shake off my sin. Only you can do it. Jesus, I believe you died and rose again. And Jesus, I receive what you did for me on the cross. That you died and you rose. So Jesus, take my sin. Put it on your cross. And Jesus, step out of heaven and into my life. I choose to follow you as my Lord and my Savior. We thank you, Father, for the good news. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we shake it off. Shake, shake it off. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen.